All right, March the 5th, Esther, Lesson 8, Chapter 6. And so, and so, um, the title I have on this is Prayers Being Given Lead to Mordecai Being Praised. Okay? So, we left off last week with, with Esther meeting with the king and going in before the king and, and of course the king put his scepter out and she was, she was, she was able to approach the king and she was able to ask the king her question, right? No. She got access to the king and she asked the king if he and Haman would come to a banquet, which she had already planned, but I don't know if she had ever planned the second banquet. So my point last week is she following what the Holy Spirit is telling her, which I believe she is, because it only mentions that she had prepared one banquet. And so... Uh, and for all those people that had been praying for her, and she goes up and she asks the king and Haman, uh, come to a banquet was the farthest from their mind. Because they were not praying for her, for her to ask the king to come to a, a wine tasting banquet. They were like, ask the king to save the Jews. That's what everything was geared toward. And yet, it hasn't happened yet. So, so what's going on? So we're going to kind of look at that today in Esther chapter 6. And so, um, and so we, we saw last week that the, like I said, the king and, and Haman go to the banquet of wine and she turns around and asks, I want you to come to the banquet tomorrow. And so two banquets, two different days, haven't quite got that worked out. And maybe, did I give you that as homework last week to go figure that out? Why two banquets in two different days? If I didn't, I should have. But I don't have any extra, you know, extra point people in here that, yeah, Bob, hey, I did that. I went home, spent 40 hours on that and came up with an answer for you. Nobody in here? Okay. I didn't do that. Didn't do that? Okay. Good to know. All right. <laughs> Esther chapter 6. So let's just read this and we're going to try to get through the whole chapter today and uh, uh, see where we're at. So let's just go ahead and read the chapter and again we'll go back and break it down. So, on that night, the night after the first banquet, on that night, could not the king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second, because I can't figure out if the king really wants to, to realize what's going on, or if he's thinking, I want to find the dullest thing that I can get to be read to me just so I can get back to sleep. So, hold on to that thought. Okay. And it was found written, verse 2, that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hands or hand on the king Ahasuerus. So remember a couple chapters back, you know, Mordecai finds out that these two guys, their chamberlains, are plotting to kill the king. And he exposes that to Esther, and she tells the, the right people, and they get to the king, and so they save the king's life. And the king said, after hearing this, or hearing this being read to him, and the king said, verse 3, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, there is nothing done for him. Sounds like the story of our life, right? You do things, nobody notices. But gets this, God notices. And the king said, verse 4, Who is in the court? 
Now Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Okay? It, the Bible is a cool book if you just read it. You know, it's it's kind of got a sense of humor to it. Uh, and when you hear these people go, I read the Bible and it's just so boring. I'm like, well, you know, read read the book of Esther. Read Genesis. Read, just read it. You'll find out. Verse 7, And the king answered, and Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal pair be brought which the king uses to wear. So this is Haman goes, this is what should be done to the man you want to honor. Let the royal apparel be brought which the king uses to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is, is set upon his head. And let this apparel and the horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor. And bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew. That's kind of an old crap moment, isn't it? That sitteth at the king's gate and let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel, the horse, and he arrayed Mordecai, and he brought him on horseback throughout the street of the city, and he proclaimed before him, Thus shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And Mordecai came again into the king's gate, probably with a big smile on his face. But Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. I would suspect he doesn't want anybody to know what happened, but yet he just prayed him through town. So so he's ashamed in verse 13. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and, and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shall surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther hath prepared. So we're going to stop right there. Of course, we're just going along with the story. Do you have a question? Yes. Why did Haman say he wanted all of the king's stuff? Let's look at that. We're going to look at it. You're, you're getting ahead. Okay, so, so uh, again... We ended up chapter 5 with letting God work, right? And you know what? Let me tell you that. Sometimes when I come here and I just preach or I teach what God's Word says, it really convicts me because you know what? A lot of times I don't. And so it just shows me how big a skunk I really am at times. And I feel awful. And if I don't feel awful enough, I might have somebody pointed out that I'm not doing that either. That doesn't make me feel any better. But, (laughs) you know, that's just how it goes. But... You know, I'm in the same boat. We're all in the same boat here, right? And so a lot of these things hit us right at home. 
And so when we see this story, I can kind of almost put myself in some of the characters in this story. Uh, but we're going to see, as I said, chapter 5 ends with, let God work. You're praying, you're fasting, and yet you've got to get to the point, and I have to get to the point when I pray, I don't, I've, I don't fast, but I probably need to. Uh, when I pray, I have a tendency to just take matters in my own hand and just, okay, well, this is what it should do. Let's pray about it, and then I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm like, i got to stop that. And maybe you guys are all angelic in here, and you don't do that. You're like, whatever I pray, I just back off, and I just let God take care of it. That is really hard to do, okay? And so, but that's what's happening. They've been praying, they've been fasting, and so Mordecai's been praying, uh, Esther's been praying, her, her maids have been praying, the Jews in the city have been praying, the Jews in the nation have been praying, so you just have to, you know, wait and let God work. And that's what we see in chapter 6. And in this whole thing, we don't see God mentioned, but we know He's there because what's taking place. So we see, first of all, God at work with the king in verses 1 through 3. So let's, let's read that again. It says, on the night, on that night could not the king sleep. Now do you think that was just a coincidence? Okay. It just so happened. Everything happens for a reason, right? It just so happened on that night. Right? The very night before the second banquet. It just so happened on that night that the king couldn't sleep and he commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles and they were read before the king. And like I said earlier, I don't know if they brought the records in to kind of dull him back to sleep or if he really wanted to catch up on, you know, on some of the things that are going on in the kingdom. I don't know. I don't know how you guys, when you wake up in the middle of the night, what do you guys do to try to get back to sleep? Does anybody in here count sheep? I don't. I wake up in the middle of the night and I think about, I wonder how to arrange the armory a little better to make it fit better. I'm like, two o'clock in the morning, why am I doing, I get back to sleep. Or, or something like, oh, I got this job to do tomorrow and how am I going to wrap this thing up here? And it just drives me bonkers. And then I'm sitting there next thing I know it's time to get up. And I'm like, I should just let it go, you know? But I worry too much. You guys worry? So, so the king, you know, he, he can't sleep. It just so happens. So I asked you, okay, you don't count sheep, so what do you guys do? Get up and drink some coffee? Get up and go to the bathroom. Okay, that. I pray for God to give me rest and put me next. Very good. Now that's specific. I hadn't even thought of that. No, I, I do pray a lot of times, so God will wake me up and I'll pray. And I'll just go on till I fall asleep, and then I kind of feel bad I fell asleep praying to God. And I'm like, well, what do you, you know? I, I don't think God, God's upset with that. Sometimes God gives me a, a face. You know, I don't know who the person is. Sometimes I do know who the person is, and I just pray, just like the deacon thing. You know, He showed me two people that. Ah. Uh, okay. Know, I think that okay. I don't want to be anymore, but it's like. Okay, so has God ever woken you up specifically when you've been praying for some one specific person for some reason and you just pray again? You just keep praying for him? 
Okay. I remember, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but a few years ago, Michelle Horton was deathly sick. Exactly. They wiped out her immune system. And so one day, Carrie and I, we went down to see him, I think on a Saturday, to, to administer the Lord's Supper to them. I was a deacon at the time. And so we go down there, they're at research, and we're sitting in there, and, uh, 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 James goes, you know, we almost lost Michelle this week. She goes, he goes, there was two nights that they told us that, that are critical because her heartbeat was super low. And I mean, I don't know how low it was. Do you remember? I mean, it was almost nothing. And they told him if she can get through the next 24 hours or whatever it is, she has a very good chance of recovering. But this is critical. And I don't know if he had put that out anymore, but I, I, uh, I said, that's interesting. I said, cause you know, there was one night this week that the Lord woke me up. I could not sleep and I went in the kitchen and I prayed for Michelle. And Carrie goes, you know what? There was one night this week that the Lord woke me up and I went in the kitchen and I prayed for Michelle. So we asked him, what nights was it that was the two critical nights? It was the same two nights that the Lord woke us up to pray for. Now, I think there's other people praying for her too. So my point is, um, when the Lord wakes you up, sometimes there's for, it's for a specific reason. And He wants you to pray specifically. There's that word specifically for someone. And so I just thought, and it just gave us chill. It gave me chills. I'm sitting there thinking it was the very, the night I prayed was the very night that she almost, you know, she almost died. He goes, yeah. So. Did I ever figure out what it was? It's been a while. Yes. Autoimmune disease of some type, but they, they, they basically did everything physically capable to wipe her immune system out to start over again. She was there like, what, three months? She was there for, yeah, a long time. So we went and visited her several times when she was there. But yeah, she was deathly sick. So that's my point. There's there's times when the Lord will wake us up specifically because He wants to see us pray and He wants to answer that prayer and He wants us to see that. I have a question. Back to the king can't sleep. Do you think that... Um, God convicted him to read those things to prepare him for what Esther was going to say. I think it was just off chance. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, yes. Yes, it was, it just so happened. Yes, the king woke him up. He's just putting everything in order. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the God, I mean, God, or, you know, he made more, um, the king want to read those scribes. I mean, right. And it just happened to be the records that talked about Mordecai. So the records of the Chronicles are read. So again, like I said, how boring. And how did it happen to be just the spot that talked about Mordecai saving the king's life? Okay. And then, uh, apparently when he heard about Mordecai was the one that was behind showing the plot to to Esther and to the rest of them to save his life, it touched his heart because he's like, man, did we do anything for this guy? Did we honor this guy? And number four, it says, the king asked, what was done for Mordecai for his good deed? So the Lord touched his heart on that too. He could have just kept going. It's just part of the records. 
But no, he stopped and goes, okay, wow, that was a good thing he, Mordecai did. What did we do to, to honor him? And so, uh, did we give him a medal? Maybe we took him to dinner. Maybe we took him to Texas, to Rex's Toad House. They didn't do anything for him. I was sitting there thinking this morning. I'm going through this this morning. I'm like, well, where, what restaurant would I bring a person to to honor them? You know, and I'm like, which one? What restaurant would I do? You know, it's not going to be McDonald's, but I'm not sure which restaurant at this time. I'm like, okay, first of all, we'll find. What do you like most, barbecue or? Oh well. But anyway, and by the time, by the way, a lot of times we go out and eat as a group with a lot of different people at church after church. You guys are always welcome to come. If you go, hey, where are you guys going to eat today? Join us. So that's any of you guys. This is not a click. I don't have a click that goes out and eats on Sunday. Okay? You're just not in my class to go out and eat with me, right? But you're all welcome. So, okay, a lot of times we'll do that. And we really don't do it for the food. We just do it to hang out with everybody. So I just throw that out there. So the king goes about, what, how do we, how do we honor Mordecai? Because he's appreciating what Mordecai did and he wants to fix a wrong. All that God put in his heart. And then number two, we see God at work with Haman. So not only is God at work with the king, he's at work with Haman, which is the evil guy. Haman goes in your blank. Number two. So Haman had come into the palace early to accuse Mordecai to have Mordecai hung. It just so happened. That particular night. He could have done it any other night, but why this night? Because God was behind the scenes. And you know what? He couldn't sleep either. Now, why couldn't he sleep? Because he's all wound up about Mordecai? Maybe, but God woke him up. I mean, he could have just went back to sleep going, "Eh, Mordecai, Mordecai, he's he's going to get his... You know, he's going to get killed coming up soon. But no, he wanted it right then, remember? Because he's a narcissist. He wants it right now, kind of like us. I want it. I want my Big Mac and I want it right now. Even though we don't go to McDonald's, but oh well. And so the king asked, it just so happens he's in the court. So the king brings him in, number two, and he asked Haman for advice on how to honor the man whom he delights on. Well, Number one, the king's asking Haman because he's like the number two man, right? It's it's all about Haman. Haman is the man. And he's thinking, number three, Haman, being Haman, gives the king his advice. Now, Haman is a big-time narcissist. Now, what's a narcissist? Somebody who loves himself. Somebody conceited that thinks everything's about himself, Right? So he's a big-time narcissist. In fact, if you look in Webster's Dictionary under Narcissist, you will find a picture of Haman and an old picture of me. I used to be kind of a narcissist, but no, I'm probably probably a picture of all of us. But some people are just bigger narcissists than others, even though we're all narcissists. But Haman, I mean, it's all about him. Uh, and he goes, let him put on the king's royal clothes. The man that you want to honor, king, let him put on your clothes. Now, I don't know about you. Roger, if the president, if the president's office calls you up and said, hey, we got a suit that belongs to Mr. President, would you like to wear it? 
Huh? I'd pass on it, you know. It wouldn't be a big deal, but because uh, our king, I mean our king, our president doesn't wear like you know big royal. He just wears a suit, doesn't he? Now it might be a pretty nice suit though, but you know I don't like it. So uh, it'd be like like that. And then he says, "Let him put on the king's royal crown." Now, now when Haman is saying this, he's just salivating all over the th- place because he's thinking he's talking about him. He goes, "Let him put on the king's royal crown. Put your crown on him, king." And then he goes, "Let him ride upon the king's horse." You know, I don't know if. The President of the United States has a horse or not, but I don't want to ride his horse. But, I mean, and he goes, let a noble prince lead him through the city proclaiming to all. Now, when you look at all this, who is he trying to be like? The king. The king. You know, that reminds me, someone else. And, and who does, who, uh, who is the king a picture of? That we, I started out a few weeks ago saying that the king Ahasuerus is a picture of somebody in the Bible. Do you remember who that is? Number one, he's the king. So he's a picture of Christ. So Haman wants to be like Christ. And does that sound like anybody we know? Sounds like Satan himself, right? So turn over in your Bible, and I know you know this. There's two places that talk about Satan specifically. One's in Ezekiel, and the other's in Isaiah chapter 12. Now, I was looking for this again this morning, so I could get the, 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 the verse down. We're going to Isaiah 12. And I'm like, now I know that in my mind. There's two places I had been taught. There's two places you want to find out exactly about details about Satan. You go to Ezekiel and you go to Isaiah. But I didn't have it wrote down anywhere. (laughs) What did I say? Isaiah 12? Uh, Let me read my writing. 14.12. It's 14.12. And you are right. So I wrote that down wrong this morning. So... These are some, but I need, I had to go look that up and I wrote it down wrong. I should have had it in my Bible marked somewhere because I need to know where that's at. Right in your Bible. For those that aren't writing in your Bible, get your markers out and start writing all over it. So, let's read this. Isaiah chapter 12 and start in verse 12. It says, How art, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? I'm going to get to context. How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Okay, so that's the same thought that Haman has. I want to be the king. I want to wear his, I want to wear his clothes. I want to have his crown. I want to even ride his horse. Now, does Christ have a horse? Yes. You bet he does. I hadn't really thought about that till this morning, but I know he has one. Cause he, we come back and he's riding a horse. Okay? So, he, he's, he's just like his daddy Satan. He wants to be something that he's not, okay? And he wants to take the person that, that is the king and knock them down. 
Number four, it says the king informs Haman to perform this act to Mordecai. Now that's kind of where the story gets funny because I'm thinking at this point when he told him that, I'd have loved to have been there in the palace. When he says, okay, all these things you just said, go get Mordecai and do it to him. I bet you could have heard a pin drop. You know, Mordecai's probably like, what? You mean Haman. I mean, Haman's probably like, what? What? And about that time he goes, what is happening here? Because it was supposed to be him and it got changed to Mordecai. You know, I used to know a lady and that was her famous quote she would say all the time. What is happening? And I'm sure more uh, uh, Haman's the same way. So not only that, you, you got to get the picture. So now he's supposed to take Mordecai, put on the king's clothes, put on the king's crown, put him on the king's horse. If that's not bad enough, now he has to lead him through the city saying this is what happens to the man that the king wants to honor. And what had what had uh, Haman done beforehand? He had got the king to send out a decree to kill all the Jews. And he's parading around uh, Mordecai, a Jew, and he's the one behind the scenes wanting him dead. The gallows were built. So most... Now, let's stop and think for a second. So, the gallows were built, but most people don't know that, except for Mordecai's family. But yet, the whole... Do you think the palace, do you think the city, do you think the rest of the nation knew who was behind the king sending out the decree? Do you think they knew it was Haman? They might have had a suspicion. I bet it, I bet it was known. Everybody knew who it was. Why, why, why did the king change it? Why does the king want the Jews dead? And who's behind this? You know, there's always somebody behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. It's always one that usually nothing ever happens to. <laughs> you just said what we were thinking. But yeah, I mean, and I'm like, now, now let me stop for a second, and, and I'm on tape, but anyway. Um, the things happen, things don't happen to these people that do all these bad things. It's like in our government, you can get by with murder if you're a top, you know, somebody at the top, nothing ever happens to them. It's like uh, anything that happens in politics Nobody does anything about it. It's kind of like you can be as nasty as you want and you get caught, but nobody cares. And I think so. I mean, we're sitting here screaming and jumping up and down and going, hey, if this happened to me, my my rear would be, you know, on the line. But this happens to these people and it's like nothing happens to them. It's kind of like uh, uh, Carrie likes this guy in the Bible named Asap. And I've talked about it before, and he's 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 under uh, uh, David. He's one of his singers. He does the cymbals. She's told me this morning, and he, he writes a psalm that says, "You know, it seems like my life. I get it in the neck every day, and these evil people, nothing ever happens to." And then the and and so I think that's Psalms. 73, and he goes, and then in the middle of the chapter, he goes, but I went into the sanctuary and I realized their end. He had a relationship with God, 
these evil people didn't. So their 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 day is going to come. Basically, is what he's saying. So. And even today, I mean, we get frustrated of all these evil people in our government and our, in our country and things that are going on around us. And, and everybody knows they're evil, but it seems like nothing happens. They just keep going. But you know what? They'll get their day. They'll get their day. Okay. So Haman, I'm sure that the reason that Haman puts his hat on or his, his uh, uh, he probably wears a hoodie like me. He puts that hood up and he kind of goes back home. He's not happy, number one. He had to lead Mordecai through the city. He doesn't want anybody to see him on the way home because he's, he's, he's mad, he's upset, he's frustrated, and he, he's kind of wanting to just sulk and go hide. Uh, but they know. They knew who was behind the scenes. The people did. And so he goes back home. And so you think, okay, so that's the end of the story working. So let's get back to Esther. Esther chapter 6. Um, so all that happened. And so we think, okay, so is God done working right now? So no, he's not. So uh, let me get to where I need to go. Verse 12. So in your handout it says, God continues to still work. Work goes in your blank. God continues to work even in 12 and 14. So even though we don't see him working, he's working on everybody. He's been working on the king. He's working on Haman. And now he's going to work, uh, number one with, and it just so happens, uh, with Haman's, and I put cronies. Did I put that on your handout? That I actually put cronies? You know, I put down, you know, with, with, with uh, good friends like these cronies, you know, who needs enemies. Because let's see what it says. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate. So he's probably on cloud nine. Okay? But Haman, but Haman, hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. And Haman told Zeresh, now who's Zeresh? His wife. If you don't believe me, look at the rest of the verse. His wife and all his friends, everything that had befallen him, then said his wise men, and Zeresh his wife unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shall surely fall before him. You know, God even uses his friends and his cronies and his wife to kind of be a prophet right here and say, You know what, dude? If Mordecai is a Jew, you're toast. But, you know, it's not... And I'm reading that and I'm, I'm having problems with that because sometimes I have problems when I read the Bible. And I'm like, surely they know that Mordecai is a Jew. Why does it say if he is a Jew? And I had to think through this and get some, I had to go to my own wise people that I asked questions to. And, and we kind of came up with a conclusion. It's more of a statement than a question. It's like using if instead of since. Since Mordecai is a Jew. I mean, it's the same. Right. It's, it's a, it's a statement, not a question. So they're basically saying, dude, you're toast. You're toast. Because of all the things you've said and how things are going, it's, can't you read the writing on the wall? I mean, it's all going to a spot and it's not going to be good for you. And it says, uh, but surely, but shall surely fall before him. Verse 14, And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman into the banquet that Esther 
had prepared. So God's at work all through this thing. He's at work with the king. He's at work with Haman. He's at work with Haman's cronies, his wife. His wa- and I thought it was interesting. It called them his wise men there. Didn't say, and earlier it calls them his friends. Here it says they're wise men. Why is that? Because God had kind of given them the sense of what's going to happen. They're basically prophesying, hey, uh, your, your downfall is about here, buddy. And so, and then we see God behind the scene with uh, the Chamberlains and, and actually the second banquet here because they immediately, once he gets told that he's going down, that's, the plot doesn't even stop. It just keeps going. Kind of like us at HBF. We don't sleep. We just keep going from one week to the next week to the next week, from one event to another event to another event. And so immediately they, the Chamberlains are there and they're like, okay, Haman, we're ready to bring you to the banquet. Like God can't wait to finish this up. And so we see God at work all the way through this. Now, God's at work even with Mordecai at this. I wonder what Mordecai was thinking. Do you think, oh, maybe Mordecai is thinking, wow, I'm supposed to be executed, but we've been praying and now, hey, now I'm the one running around in the king's horse with his crown on. What? And he's probably thinking the same thing. What in the world is going on? But even God's at work in his life. Why? Because he had been praying. And he's at work at Esther's life. He's at work with the maid's wife. He's he, he's behind the scenes all the way through this. So when we pray, what can we learn from this? When we pray, God is always at work even when we don't see it. Because we are in a spiritual battle being Christians. Okay? Turn over to in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to wrap up with this. Ephesians chapter 6. And this is so hard for us to get into our, our heart and our mind. But, but this is us. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're all thinking physical all every day in our life. You know, what's going on at home? Like I said, what's going on at work? What's going on here? Everything is physical, which it is. But really, the Bible tells us it's a spiritual battle. You know, we have so... There are so many spiritual forces against us. The evil ones, the principalities, all these things are talking about that are against us, that our prayer life, our spiritual life is like World War III. And we just don't quite understand it. We're thinking physical, and yet it's a spiritual battle we need to be thinking about. Verse 13 says, Wherefore, because it is a spiritual battle, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, everything we need to be doing. And then verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And then what? watching thereunto with all 
perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So it really comes back down to our prayer life is so important and then to watch what God does. Okay? So we're in a spiritual battle. The battle back here with, with Mordecai and the Jews and Esther was a spiritual battle. It was, they, they, I mean, to them, everything was physical, but there was a spiritual battle going on between God and Satan. And God's word was at stake. His people was at stake. And Satan is just using one more ploy to try to get rid of the Jews. Because this was a worldwide event against God's people. And God is not going to sit still in that. Same way in our life. We're God's people. We have a battle against us. And we're all thinking flesh. We all get up, up tight when we hear what's going on in the government and all the things that's about to take place. But we really need to stop and pray about it and realize it's a spiritual battle and God has the victory and we just got to let Him work in our life. Now, how to do that <laughs> or to do that it's not easy, but we have to remember that and keep going back to it. Take it to prayer. Take it to God in prayer. Bathe everything in your life in prayer. We also need to ask for His power and His, his peace to be able to do that. I mean, that's for the circle. We need His power in order to pray for, for His power to be working in everything because it's really hard for me to pray for our government. It's hard for me to pray for the situations that are happening. But in his power, it can happen. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it is. It's, it's, we need to realize, number one, this is the battle between good and evil, between God and his people and Satan and his people. And we need to realize that Satan's people are trying to destroy us and they want to destroy us physically, but yet they can't destroy us spiritually. They cannot do that. So I'm going to stop right there. Uh, but you did bring up a thing Angel brought up to me last week. And, uh, and I think it was more of a question or a statement. Because she talked about um, uh, Mordecai had a descendant called Shimei that uh, was back in 2 Samuel 16.6. So let's go back and look at that real quick. 2 Samuel 16. And verse 6. I think that's where I want to go. I'm just running off what you had written here. Okay, 16.6. So the context here is... Um, um, I'm not... No wonder I'm in the wrong spot. I'm in First Samuel. So Second Samuel 16.6. I'm like, this has nothing to do with where I want to go. Second Samuel 16.6. So the context here is uh, David is leaving Jerusalem because Absalom, Absalom his son, is, is, is forcing him out of uh, Jerusalem or he's running for his life. And his son uh, Absalom is trying to take over the throne. Okay, so Second Samuel 16.6. For some reason, I just can't get my fingers to work today. Let's back up. Verse 5. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, 
the son of Gera, and he came forth, and he cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David, and, and all the servants of the king David, and all the people, of, all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou art a man of Belial. And the Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned, and the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. He's accusing David of being uh, a bloody man here and, and being an evil man. And verse 9, And then said Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, the sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold my son, which came forth at my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. So, uh, when David's coming out of the city with, with his, with his wives and the people with him because Absalom's coming into Jerusalem, uh, this guy Shimmy comes out and he's, he's cursing David up and down as they're leaving and throwing rocks at him and, you know, acting like a little child. And one of David's servants is like, why, why are we putting up with this? Just tell me, give me the word and I'll go over and cut this dude's head off. And David doesn't let him. He says, just let him go. Well, this Shimei is in the bloodline of Mordecai because he is a son of Kish. And so he's in the direct bloodline of Mordecai. So I think the statement that Angela was telling me was she was listening to a pastor and his comment was, if David would have said, go ahead and cut this guy's head off, Shimei may have never been born. Mordecai. I'm sorry. Okay. Mordecai would have never been born because Shemi, his descendant, would have been killed by David. Well, I, I did look at that and I've been pondering about that. And I'm like, it's got, that might be true. Well, but that's, that's only believing that Shemi has his son that's in the bloodline after this time. So who, who is to say that was the case? Or who is it to say maybe he already had a son before that so it wouldn't have made a difference? The neat part is it that we can follow Mordecai's bloodline back to Kish, back to a Benjamite. And so what we're going to see later on in the story after, after Haman gets killed, he's the, and his sons get killed. From what I understand, that's the last of the Agites. And so what Saul didn't do when he was supposed to kill the Malachites, the Agites, what he didn't do, Mordecai will do. So you can see the bloodline and you can see all that in there. And you can see this guy Shemi is in the bloodline. But to say that if, if he would have, David would have allowed him to cut his head off, Mordecai wouldn't, wouldn't have been alive. Maybe a stretch. I think it was just the comparison that if Saul would have done his job, then Haman wouldn't be in the place where he was. And if That's David true. would have let his man kill Shemi, then Mordecai wouldn't be where he is. So it was it was a relationship of if these situations hadn't happened the way they did, 
in time, then the situation of Mordecai and Haman would have never come to fruition. Well, I agree with the first half of that. I just can't make a broad statement on the second half. It may be, may not be. So, probably makes really good preaching, uh, but it may not be factual. Okay. So, that's, I've always wondered how to use that illustration. That fits it perfect. Uh, so, there are statements that you just need to go back, and, and I'll give you another one real quick. Uh, in, in the book, in the movie, The Chosen, we watched last night where the, the lady with the issue of blood touches the hem of Jesus' garment. In the, in the show, The Chosen, she touches one of the uh, tassels that are hanging off his his clothes, but the Bible says the hem, and and the, so the chosen shows that well the idea is that well she being unclean didn't want to make Jesus unclean, so she just touched the very tip of a bead or something on his clothes, and so because she didn't want to make Jesus unclean, but. That is totally not what the Bible says, because the Bible says, him in the garment, and you could have touched him on the face, you wasn't going to make him unclean. And so, she didn't, think that she didn't think that. But yet, the show throws that out there. And they're thinking, oh wow, there's a, let's give you a little nugget why she did this. Well, your little nugget really wasn't a nugget, but what it does is make you go back, what does the Bible say? He touched the hem of her garment. And again, and if he, if she touched the hem of his garment, then according to Jewish law, he was unclean. But since he's the son of God, you can't make him unclean. So, oh well. So let's pray and we'll go from there. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of, of Aster, Lord, and help us to see the truths in this story. Help us to apply them when they, when they, uh, 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 fit in our life, Lord. Help us to see, help us to always come to you in prayer and help us to realize we're fighting a spiritual battle, not a fleshly battle, Lord. And, uh, you will judge all things in your time. So we pray for that and ask your blessing on the rest of the day in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm like, okay, let's go back and just dig through this. Okay. So then I get a post. From uh, another pastor, that he he speaks. He's got the um, the lineup, but the headlines were: a hiker finds a 25-year-old pe- a receipt, a 25-year-old receipt bearing the name of King Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus's father, Darius. I'm sorry. Let me finish that. So then I went and looked up this article, and the article is they found a cache of coffins, um, sarcophagus, and the, the People were, the mummies were still in them. And anyway, I think that's where they found um, some more information leading to Hasserius. But anyway, this was talking about a hiker that found the receipt. They showed the little piece of plate. Really? It has the signature on it. Of course, we can't read it. <laughs> okay, right, right. Yeah. And maybe speculation may not. Uh, well, apparently those people that read ancient uh, Hebrew or hieroglyphics or whatever say it is a receipt from 